This is Rob Van Dam. The whole effing show. You're listening to the Craft of Comedy Wrestling. Seriously, guys, listening to RVD intro the show will never get old. Guys, this is the Craft of Comedy Wrestling. We're here live with Zach Linder, very special guest. He was the booker for the UCBW for many years, also a two-time UCBW champion as multiple characters. He's going to get into a lot of history today. This is going to be a great episode, guys. This is the Craft of Comedy Wrestling. How's it going, Zach? What am I doing here? Hey, this it's been 10 years... Uh, you, you were very instrumental. How did you convince me to do this? Uh, I still don't know. I don't know how anybody, any of the guests I get, agree to do this show. Yeah, but the, of your guests, I mean, this, I, this is your biggest get, I would think, Giuseppe. Right? Oh, da- oh, I would say next to actually, not, not, not to, not to shoot down, shoot, shoot you down, but I gotta say Mars, four-time champion. Look, Mars didn't have the pencil for seven years, brother. That's true too. That's very true too. He did mention that you were you were you booked the show for a very long time, and he said the stress that it put him under was was crazy. So I I could imagine how how you did it for so many years. How many? How long did you uh, have have the pencil? Did you say? <laughs> <laughs> I had the keyboard. Uh, I. Um... I, I, I started I started running UCBW full time uh, in 2007. Uh, I was uh, I was working a desk job. I was working a day job in ad sales at USA and Sci-Fi, um, and I was known as like the wrestling guy there because I was the only guy. Can I curse on this thing? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah uh, totally. I was the only guy at USA and Sci-Fi ad sales who gave a shit that Monday Night Raw was on USA while everyone else was freaking out about shows like Burn Notice and Monk. Um, but I had a desk job and charged. Two great shows. Oh, it was like, like the only shows I ever watched on USA other than Raw. But uh, yeah. more than you can say for me then. But uh, yeah, um, Charlie was getting super super busy with Improv Everywhere. Improv Everywhere was taking off, and uh, he needed people to run it when he was away week to week. And it sort of became me. He would say, "Hey, can you handle it this week?" And then it became him asking me every week, "Can you handle it this week? Can you handle it this week?" And it just sort of grew from there, and uh, this was in late 07, and I think I really started running it full-time in 08, and uh, if not earlier than that, and uh, it, was, it was a weekly endeavor every, you know, every week until, uh, until I left last year, yeah. about a year ago. Yeah. Wow, so uh, I got in just in time to, to uh, check, uh, check out the douche, because... Honestly, I think my first match was Douche versus Fishsticks, setting up Revengeance last year, mm-hmm. where you lose to uh, retirement match. Yeah, tapped, tapped out, brother. The photo is right here on my table. As yeah, you can this see. is this is a. Uh... I'm wearing the uh, the proverbial crimson mask, as they say. I told I told Mars I wanted to bleed in that match, and he was more than happy to oblige and. And make me bleed. So hey, when you when you got to go out, you got to go out with flair, you know. But uh, but yeah, I uh, I was not supposed to to leave full time when I did. What was supposed to sort of happen is um, that was going to be my last match, regardless. Mm-hmm. I was uh, I, I wanted to stop being a uh, a performer. Um, you know, I had ha- I had had this last run with the title, and that was going to be it for me. Um, but I was still gonna uh, to run things behind the scenes. And um, 
uh, a number of circumstances, which we can get into if you like, uh, led to me uh, uh, leaving very shortly after that. What happened was, so Revengeance happened and I tapped out, I lost the title, and and we did sort of the proverbial passing of the torch to, to Pat Bear, right, and, which was well-deserved on Pat's part. Um, but I was going to continue uh, producing the show behind the scenes. Mm. And uh, I booked, I, th- I think what happened was, I would try and book as many weeks out as possible, or at least have at least one wrestler booked um, uh, several weeks in advance. Yeah, that's right? a great way and to then, And then plug the things going. in later. But I tried to have everything etched in stone as much as I could several weeks out. And I think what had happened was I had booked near complete lineups, if not complete lineups, for the next five or six weeks. And I had booked it all out. And, uh, and there were other circumstances involved that, again, we can get into later if you like, uh, or we can start at the beginning. Um, and uh, I booked these six weeks, and I just thought to myself, you know what? I'm done. It's been a long time, and I'm done. And what I did was I, 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 uh, I was supposed to sort of spend the next however many months kind of doing it uh, in conjunction with Pat. And okay. I, I would sort of continue to lead the booking and then slowly and gradually hand it over to Pat. And uh, I would have loved to see Fesh get involved as well and sort of uh, some of the more artistic aspects of it. Um, but, uh, you know, I booked it, I booked it, you know, six weeks out or however many weeks it was. And I just felt, uh, yeah, it's time for me to go. It's time for me to go. Wow. All right. So, um, so you, you started booking, you, bet, you said about uh, 06, 07. Right around there. Oh, it was late 07 when late I 07. started producing the show. Um, uh, but I'd been involved before yeah, that. When did, you, when did you first get your start? Now, you, like we said uh, earlier, you've done multiple characters. Where's the start for Zach Linder? Yeah, as, sure. As so um, we can go way back if you yeah. want. We can go pre UCBW. Yeah, we yeah we we can yeah we can go before yeah before you even got involved like as a fan when you were just a fan. Yeah, man. I mean, I uh, I, I met Charlie very early on in my days at UCB. So I started at UCB in the summer of '04. So we're looking at eleven years ago. <laughs> and um, I was I was in a level one class, and we were sort of this ambitious level one class. In those days, the UCB school was much smaller than it is now. It wasn't even called 101, I think, in those days. I think it was just called level one. And um, uh, we were encouraged to go find ourselves a coach and, uh, and, go, uh, uh, and go practice you know, outside of class, which we did. And uh, we were coached once by Kate Spencer and once by Charlie Todd. Wow. And uh, I think I found and hired Charlie. And I remember uh, we were going to rehearse in some dude's uh, relative's apartment, I think, on the Upper West Side. And I think I was the first guy to show up. And Charlie was sitting on the stoop. And we started chatting. And that's when I met Charlie. But I think we had emailed a little bit before that. Or we had IM'd. Uh, that was a big thing in those days, IMing, which is now antiquated in itself. And... Uh, I remember we went upstairs and we did an icebreaker where, you know, we asked, I think, what our favorite musician was or something about ourselves. And I knew nothing of Improv Everywhere at that time. And I said that my favorite musician was Ben Folds, which is how Improv Everywhere got its start. Charlie impersonated Ben Folds in a bar. Become a famous story, right? And uh, Charlie and I became friends soon after that, or at least friendly. 
And uh, yeah, Charlie and I have been pals for the last 11 years. And um, when UCBW starts, so actually before that, I'll, I'll start off before that. So Cage Match was instantly one of my favorite shows at UCB. Uh, there was no wrestling in those days. It was a straight improv competition show. Now, what from what I understand, the history of Cage Match is as follows. Cage Match began as a show in Chicago at the uh, Improv Olympic. I.O., yeah. Run, now the I.O. Theater, right, because the uh, International Olympic Committee uh, sued them ludicrously. Uh, so now they're just the I.O. Theater, right? But that's irrelevant for this story. Um, and... It was, I believe it was begun by Kevin Mullaney. Kevin Mullaney was, a, was an improviser in Chicago, and when the UCB4 moved out to New York to open up the UCB Theater, I think I believe shortly after that they, they gave Kevin a job offer to come move out here and run their, their school program. And he was the early uh, head of their school, from, from what I understand. This okay. is before my time, obviously, a few years before me. And he moved out uh, to New York and brought Cage Match with him. And... Uh, he hosted it for several years, I believe, and a number of years after that, he wanted to pass it off to some young improvisers who were a little bit hungrier than Kevin, maybe, at that time. Although I don't want to speak for Kevin by any means. Uh, Kevin did go on. He, was, he became my, uh, my level three teacher many years later. Um, I, he's not living in New York anymore, I, be, I don't believe. I think he moved out to the Southwest. I don't know where Kevin is at this time. Um, uh, I believe if we're talking about the same person, he opened up another theater in Chicago, Under the Gun. Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. If that's if that's the seven uh, same person, we can look it up later. But, yeah, um, yeah totally look it up. But that name rings in my head for Under the Gun Theater. Okay, right on. I, I yeah, I haven't spoken to Kevin since uh, two thousand and eight. Um, when I took level three, right? Maybe I took that in 07. I, oh, 2007. Um, so uh, he passed it off. He passed Cage Match off to three improvisers. Uh, do you know this part of the story at all? No, not at all. Okay, That's, so... My, my ears are perked up. <laughs> so uh, Kevin gave Cage Match to Chris Kula, Eric Scott, and Charlie Todd, who were all kind of young Harold team members at the time. Maybe some of them weren't even on Harold... Because I believe Kula's first Harold team was Police Chief Rumble, and I don't think Police Chief Rumble had been a team yet when Kevin gave Cage Match to them, although that could be wrong. Um, I, I believe Eric's first Harold team, who became T.T. Billingsworth, an announcer in UCBW, um, UCBW Hall of Famer for that matter. Yeah. Um, he actually came back uh, end of last year to uh, have ball with a few matches. Oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. yeah it was, Eric's it was really... incredible. Whenever you hear anybody impersonating sort of the, uh, uh, just the, the impression of a UCBW announcer, they're usually doing an impression of Eric uh, as T.T. Billingsworth. But um, he, he gave it to, uh, Kevin gave Cage mm -hmm. Match to uh, Kula, Eric Scott, and, uh, and Charlie Todd. And I think Eric's first Harold team was Van Buren. I don't think Van Buren was a team yet. Uh, Birch Harms was also on Van Buren, I think. Oh, man, I'm 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 really really bad with uh, with memories around this time. But um, whatever comes out comes out. Well, but I think Charlie was already on Harold Night because Char Charlie's first Harold team was my Kickass Van, which became Gigawatt. I think if Charlie listens to this, he he will uh, for sure correct me. Um, 
But uh, after a number of years, and I, so I became a big fan of Cage Match just going to see those three dudes host Cage Match. It was an improv competition show, and I loved it, and I was a big improv fiend at the time. I'd be going to UCB, you know, three or four times a week. Um, and at that time, this was the summer of 04, um, the dominant champion at Cage Match was Respecto Montalban. And I remember... Um, I had asked Paul Shear if he would coach our level one class. This is before uh, we had gotten Kate Spencer or, or Charlie to coach us. And um, so I, I asked Paul Shear to coach us. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think I told him I was coming to cage match. He said, all right, yeah, yeah, find me after cage match. We can talk about it. And uh, that cage match ended up being what is still to this day, 11 years later, a legendary cage match where Respecto was beaten by a newish Harold team called Filth, uh, which had Kevin Cragg was on this team, and I, I think I think Kevin Hines was on Filth, and it was it was not a particularly well thought of Harold team. Mm -hmm. I think even the guys that were on Filth would admit that today. It was a, it was a decent Harold team, and they shockingly beat Respecto. Right, wow. and it was shocking at the time, and people flipped out, and it was a legendary set because Filth did a full Harold, and then with sixty seconds left on the clock, did I believe they uh, did a sixty second version of the Harold, <laughs> and it would, I, I think Charlie will remember this better yeah, than me. But that just sounds. And intense. to this day, it, it remains a legendary cage match, and Respecto lost. And after the show, I went up to Paul outside on 26th Street. I said, hey, Paul, I'm Zach, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, hey, are you still down to coach our team? And he, and he, was, he was bitter. He was pissed that he had lost, right? And he looked at me, and it, he wasn't mean, but he was bitter. And he said to me, maybe you can get someone from Filth to coach your team now. And I was like, whoa, I, I guess Paul Shear isn't coaching my team. Um, Paul ended up teaching my level two class the next year, but... Um, because uh, I would come home and do uh, do uh, UCB classes when I was on break from college. Um, so a year later, Paul ended up uh, teaching my level two class. But uh, so that that led us to hiring Charlie Todd um, to to coach our class. And I think I've told Charlie that story before. <laughs> um, but uh, so I was a big fan, and uh, slowly after, over time, you know, Kula and Eric began having less of a role in hosting Cage Match week to week, and it sort of became Charlie's show. And Charlie would start doing these bits uh, as the cage match host, and he sort of started playing it, sort of an evil version of himself. And you sort of started to see the heel Charlie Todd kind of emerge. And he was not Chuck McMahon yet, but he started doing these crazy bits. There was a bit, oh man, I forget what it was exactly, but he was plugged. He was gonna do like some some concert with Sammy Hagar, and that was a bit one week. And a bit one week was that cage match was sponsored by Budweiser Select or something <laughs> like that, right? And there were these ridiculous bits. Just making it his and own. And you yeah. sort of started to see the evolution of where cage match was going, right? And Charlie's sensibilities and his sense of humor are kind of coming out a little bit more. And then at the end of 2005, the famous It Sucked Awards show was the debut of the Pukang Kang yeah. character, and I believe the Chuck McMahon character. Yeah. Although they, not... I, I think, Mars, Mars did mention that, yeah. They both did it. Um, and then uh, I, I think they just decided, hey, let's make, make Cage Match a wrestling show. And I was at college at the time. And... Uh, 
UCBW started up uh, in early 2006. I was beginning my uh, the second semester of my junior year of college. And I had heard about Cage Match, and Charlie knew I was a wrestling fan. Charlie and I had talked about wrestling quite a bit. And uh, he asked me, I think I was coming home from break, and I had, we had, I had expressed interest in him. I, I really, really wanted to, to be involved. And he knew I was coming home from, from uh, school for some sort of break, or I think maybe I had a job interview. I, for, I forget what I was doing. And, um, and he asked me, hey, do you want to do a character? And I forget how he came up with the character, but I ended up doing uh, the paper boy which was a straight-up Newsies ripoff, right? And my first match, it was the Paperboy versus Chuck McMahon. That was the match. Oh, wow. in those he wrestled days, at that time. In those days, Charlie would wrestle every now and then as Chuck McMahon. And he was a big-time heel. He was the Vince McMahon, right? And in those, you know, in time, over the last number of years, the last decade, for Christ's sakes, the Chuck McMahon character has evolved to be more than a Vince McMahon parody. But in those days, it was basically a straight-up parody of Vince McMahon. And he would wrestle, and we did a match where I was the underdog little paper boy, right? And and here and facing the evil Chuck McMahon. And um, I, I don't know if the match is still online, um, but... Uh, we wrestled. It was a really, really fun time. The Paperboy, I would always grab a few issues of The Onion from the lobby. I don't know if UCB still uh, has copies of The Onion. Time out now. So I would, I would grab like five copies of The Onion from the lot from the box office, and I would throw them out to the audience. Uh, that bit later evolved as the Paperboy kind of... <laughs> kind of evolve from a baby face into sort of a reluctant heel, I would hand out um, copies of The Onion to my opponents. And then I would sort of wave gleefully to the audience as, <laughs> as I was struck down by the papers and immediately beaten. But in this match, um, I believe I was knocked out and Charlie was Chuck McMahon was doing some evil, you know, heelish thing. Mm-hmm. And Cakeface came out. And uh, attacked Chuck McMahon. I think the referee was knocked out. Referee Pat Bear in those days. And um, and I believe the announcers for that show were the original UCBW announcers, which were P.P. Jackson, who was Anthony King, mm-hmm. and Sky Goldfarb, who was Adam Pally. And uh, <laughs> Pally came back to do a few shows <laughs> since then. Anthony has not done many shows since then. <laughs> and Cakeface came out, beat down Chuck McMahon, and kind of dragged my arm on top. And the referee kind of was shaken up and kind of counted the three. And I beat Chuck McMahon. And it was this, people went, went nuts, right? And it was, it was really, really fun. So that, that was sort of my start in UCBW. That's kind of, and, it, and from there, I, uh, I wrestled several matches as the paper boy. Nice, nice. So... Okay, the progression of the characters now. Are they meant to be the same person? My characters. Yes, all your characters. Yeah. Are, are there? Is it like a progression of this character? It's the same individual. Okay. Yes. Okay, so he gets to college? Is this after the... So what happened was, I believe about a year of doing the paper boy. Okay. 
Um, I uh, I participated in Frat Boys Hell Week match. Okay. Now, up until when I was booking UCBW, every pay per view would have what we called a you know a rumble match or a toilet bowl match or basically a match just for the sake of getting people involved. Yeah. Right. And in this particular pay-per-view, which I believe was Revengeance 2, Frat Boy had a match Hell Week, which is, you know, taking off the famous, you know, fraternity yeah. trope of uh, getting hazed, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah they make you, nonsense, you know, yeah. run naked in the quad or, yeah. you know, they, they make you, the you know, walk you or... know put, put your dick in a pipe. I don't know what yeah. that Um But, <laughs> but, uh... Uh, yeah, so Frat Boy had a Hell Week match, and um, there were like five of us in it or something, and I don't even remember how the fuck it worked, but I won that match. I think I won that match because there was nobody else was made sense for to win that match. Mm-hmm. And there was never a plan for the Paperboy to become the pledge. But what ended up happening was I won that match, and I was, and there are videos and photos of me online, uh, appearances as the paperboy soon after that. Mm. And what I would do is I would wear my old paperboy outfit, like an old newsy vest, or right? Like a pledge pin or something? But I would have, no, I, um, I, I, I bought uh, like a Lacoste polo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I would pop the collar, right? That was kind of the, the genesis of it. And I began wearing my newsy vest, my newsy shorts and my newsy sort of vest over a polo with a pop collar, and then I started wearing the backwards upside down visor, like like frat idiots do, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> I became frat boy's pledge. I wasn't really called the pledge. I sort of became the pledge over time. Yeah, because everything gets needed. You know, they yeah exactly. But uh, yeah, but for for a while I was just oh there's frat boy and there's frat boy's pledge, right? Yeah. And I would always be like in his corner or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then there was sort of a, a a a legendary edition of Cage Match, where we did not do a match. Um, it was right around July fourth. And if you ever have Sean Hart on this podcast, he will give you an earful about this Cage Match. It we did a a parody of the Nathan's Nathan's hot dog eating contest. <laughs> Where Uncle Eddie is this? I'm sorry. Is this during um, like uh, Honda Chaos? No, this was this was soon after that Hell Week match. Okay, so okay. This, so this so was this probably that July Fourth. Yes. That's oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're we're Obviously. looking we're looking at you know July two thousand seven. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I think that's when it was, and it was me, sex offender Gary, registered sex offender Gary, um. So I forget. I still, I still don't know how he got over as a face. You know, in the <laughs> in the upside down world of UCBW, uh, <laughs> that's the shit that goes on, man. Um, I'll tell you a funny story about the upside down world of UCBW. What, what I pitched once that we never did, but I can tell you a story and, and re- remind me about that in a minute. Yeah. But um, so we did this cage match, and it was it was the contestants were registered sex offender Gary. Uh, the frat boy kind of uh, kind of brought his pledge to participate in the hot dog eating contest, and um, uh, and Uncle Eddie uh, <laughs> with chopsticks saying he was Uncle Kobayashi, who taking off of the uh, the famous uh, hot dog eating uh, contest winner, right? Um, and 
I th- and there was some other contest. I think there were, was a fourth contestant. And, of course, it devolved into, like, mm-hmm. this crazy brawl. Yeah. But those were the days of the frat boy and the frat boy's pledge. Um, and then the, the character evolved from there. He eventually became the pledge, and he wrestled his own matches, but typically in a tag team with frat boy. We became a tag team called the Fraternity. There was a famous promo that once was online, but I don't think it is anymore, where we formed the fr- and, we, and we said we are now to be called the Fraternity. Um, we later grew into the super fraternity when we joined forces with another tag team called the Varsity Squad, which was Kevin DeBacker and Zed Kutzinger. I think I'm saying Zed's last name right. Um, and they were sort of, they were collegiate wrestlers who wore red singlets and like wrestling headgear. And the four of us joined forces as the super fraternity. And I think we did like a couple of like Survivor Series style matches together. Um, and I have there's a picture of us as the super fraternity on my wall. We looked at some UCBW posters that I have on my wall a little bit before we we started recording here. Um, and uh, over time, I think the frat boy left. La- I think Birch retired as the frat boy, or I think I think I turned on the frat boy and I became the heel, and the frat boy became a babyface, but very quickly left UCBW and became Chugger Dietz. Yeah. Of course, the legendary... Chug Erdietz? That's, that's a new thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they take the, uh, the New Day... Uh, okay. Day rocks. Sure. Right? And it becomes now Chug Erdietz? I see, I see. Uh, but yeah, so over time, the, um, the, the pledge was no longer a pledge. He was now in the fraternity, so he became the little brother. Mm-hmm. Um, he, we, because he was no longer a pledge, it makes sense for me to be called that anymore. So I was the little brother, and I, w- I was the little brother for a long time. I was the little brother for many, many years, and um, and after a while, uh, the little the little brother. I think what happened was the little brother won the title and held it for a pay per view or two, and then we I I was defeated by Mars in a stepladder match. Um, yeah, you, you pulled up on YouTube. For the, for, for the people listening at home, uh, uh, Giuseppe pulled up Hot Topic versus the Fraternity, another great tag team. So I had won the title. I had won the UCBW title. And this is 09 as the little brother. That sounds right. Yeah, you'd know better than I. I'm, I'm yeah, looking right at you it. You've got uh, history in front of you, yeah. Yeah, October 17th, 2009 at Autumn Slam 2. Little Brother won the UCBW World Heavyweight Intercontinental Championship of the World. Okay, I, I don't remember that match, but... Um, oh, I, you know what? I do remember that match. So that match, I... Uh, it, we did a we did a, a something that we referred to as the Chelsea screw job, which was a take on the Montreal screw job, where I had Mars locked in my old submission move, which was called the suspension, which was basically a stand kind of a standing crippler crossface, and uh, he did not tap out, and I think. Chuck McMahon was like a slimy referee at the time. I can't remember, and called for the bell, okay. and I became the champion, super heelish. And, uh, and that was the end of our season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, at WrestleSlam Mania, I think I wrestled um, Uncle Eddie, and I beat Uncle Eddie. Okay. And then I wrestled Mars just a couple of weeks after WrestleSlam Mania, and I dropped the title to Mars in a stepladder match at a cage match where we brought out mats. Yeah. May, at a cage match. May 2013. I'm sorry, May 2010, the 13th of May. 
Yeah. That sounds right. And, uh, and remember, it, says, yeah, it, says, it says cage match. doesn't say a pay-per-view. Yeah, it was definitely a cage match, man. By and, the way, uh, uh, for, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. By the way, for anybody listening at home, if you go to IRC, which is the improv Wikipedia pretty much, you can find the UCBW page, and it'll give you all the title history. It'll give you all the history of the UCBW and all the megastars. So anytime we reference something, it's probably our IRC. And uh, I think yeah. I wrote all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you go back and look at the edit history of that thing, you can see that I uh, I wasted a lot of time on this. Uh, but. Um, yeah, it was it was definitely a cage match. Yeah, so yeah, you're you know, right. as you know, the, the cage match audiences are not as much of a UCBW audience as nope, they are not, an improv not, audience. Yeah, sometimes it's hit or miss when it comes to yeah who <laughs> who they're there for. And I remember, I don't I don't know what the improv match was that week, but I remember the audience sitting there and just thinking. I I remember feeling the audience thinking, "What the fuck am I watching?" I think I did like an elbow off the top of the step ladder, like. It was nuts, man. And I dropped a title, and I believe that was a retirement match. And Little Brother left UCBW. Okay. Um, so the character left. Yeah. And, and I think that character left for like two years. And uh, I played a character very briefly called Johnny Wimbledon, which I had tested out at Hanu Chaos, which in those oh, days... Oh, Hanu Chaos, like Hanukkah. Yeah. I've always been saying it haunted. What? I've been saying it. I've comes around the holiday season, brother. I thought it was around Halloween. No, no, no. <laughs> so I thought it was haunted. Chaos. No, it happens. In, it, I don't know if they still do it, but when I was running UCBW, we did Haunted Chaos every December as sort of a special holiday show, and it was non-canon. It was yeah, yeah, I was like, uh, I remember uh, being uh, Alex Bedarian, Fishsticks. He told me that uh, there was a match, uh, Ken Sham, like a. Brock Shamrock, where is and uh, some and someone. Oh, yeah, like I, like I wasn't involved in that show. Comedy, yeah, comedy UFC match, pretty much. I see. Yeah, I was. I, but, I was yeah, there I was, watching. That it. was during the non-canon show. But yeah, so go on. Yeah. So, yeah, so Johnny Wimbledon was a character that I had tested out at a Hanu Chaos, and I I'm a big tennis fan, and uh, I had all like the gear to play like a you know like a John McEnroe style like really asshole 1980s tennis player. Okay. And uh, I spoke with a horrible British accent. Even though Mac- <laughs> Mac- McEnroe's not British, but I had you know the old Fila shirt and the short shorts and uh, you know high headband, high, high socks and a headband, yeah, the whole bit. And I and I have an old vintage Yonex tennis racket, and um, I did that character for a couple years. And I formed a tag team with Harry Turjanian called the Un-Americans, and we and we wrestled matches and as a tag team, and I wrestled solo and. Um, and then Johnny Wimbledon sort of stopped, and uh, the little brother made his return, I believe, attacking the King of Hearts in a in a pay-per-view match. I think I came out with, like, a black hood on, mm-hmm. and I tore off the black hood, and I put on the, the visor. Yeah. Right? And it was, holy shit, the little brother's back. And that was a number of years later. So the little brother really did leave for a long time, and um, the little brother came back, and... Uh, uh, little brother turned babyface in the uh, C- the the famous the infamous UCBW versus CSZW rivalry. Oh, that I would love to hear. We can talk about. I would that. love to hear because uh, this is this is when Buck McMahon played by John Timothy. Right. 
who was my 201 teacher. Okay. So I was trying to get a little history from him during during our class time, but he would be like, he was just like, like let's just talk about improv. Like, so let's focus on improv. Yeah, John Timothy <laughs> has no interest in rehashing <laughs> that shit show that was the CSCW. But uh, but yeah, so um, yeah, because all I remember is seeing a picture of him throwing his arms out and you about to give him a hug. Like that's like one of the most famous pictures I can. Uh, that was, that was the night that I turned babyface. Okay. So I think what had happened was I think it was a cage match, and the, and we had teased that this that someone would knew would be joining the CSCW, Ooh. and I'm I'm gonna get the timeline of this screwed up, and Matt Little can correct me on this because I bet he remembers better than I, but. We had teased that there was a new member, and my music hit, and I came out, and and Buck McMahon extended his arms, and I extended my arms, and then I clotheslined him, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Who went, holy shit! It's a still, so... And to this day, the little brother makes a horrible baby face. Uh, (laughs) It made no sense, but what did make sense was that little brother would fight for UCBW. Right? Okay. Because yeah. he, he was a long time UCBW. Even megastar. though he's a heel, he's still yeah, right. still one so, of us. And I, I really like that idea because there had been storylines like that in the WWE where sort of baby faces and heels had joined forces, you know, to fight a common cause. Yeah. And that was sort of what we were doing there. Um, so I turned babyface, and then when the CSCW storyline dropped, I was still kind of a babyface. But it didn't really make sense, so I kind of tweaked the character and I became the little worker. Charlie likes to say, no, you were not the little worker, you were the temp. <laughs> I hate the name. <laughs> to this day, I legit hate that name. <laughs> Charlie really likes names that are the blank. Yeah. And I never really liked those names. I like names that are... Um, that are evocative of what that character might be without telling you explicitly what it would be. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, what happened with um, with my character when I pitched it. Uh, I pitched it as Baby Beluga. Okay. Since he's a large baby. That kind of makes sense. I love that name, Baby Beluga. And then it got recently changed right before my debut as The Baby. See, that's a, that's a Charlie Todd move if I ever heard one. Yeah. If I was booking things, you would be called Baby Beluga because I think that's hilarious. But, you know, a- Alex Badirian was going to be the, the Fisherman or yeah. something. And I said, no, let's call you Old Fish Sticks um, because it's, it was just such a... It, it, it's so much more colorful, I think. Um, and there were other uh, cases of that as well. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I just, I'm just happy to get my shot, so... Yeah, man, more power I'm, to you. I would, I'm, I'm fine as the baby, <laughs> right? baby beluga, baby boom boom. Baby boom boom. Yeah, that's a character. Baby boom boom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, That's actually my uh, my finishing move, the boom boom drop. Okay, well, if, if it were up to me, it'd be called baby boom boom. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, but yeah, so I, I became the little worker, yeah. okay. and I was sort of this baby-faced guy, you know, going to work the day job and, you know, fighting for the, the common guy, you know, and um, and uh, I, I wrestled as a little worker for a short while, and I don't remember how, but I eventually just turned back to the little brother, and at that point, I wasn't the little brother anymore, I was just straight up the douche, Yeah. and uh, and that's how, that, that's the progression of my, that's the, my long-winded uh, explanation. Wow. So, all right, so we're roughly... Roughly past 2011 now, and now you're the douche, formal, it says, formerly little brother. Do you remember Autumn Slam 5 when you won your the title as the douche? No, man. I'm not going to remember speci- like when matches were. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Um, um, I'm just curious. Yeah. 
So yeah, we, we know in 2013 you did win the douche. Uh, you did win the title as the douche. Right. And this would be one of your longest reigns. Yeah, one of your longest reigns. <laughs> my, yeah. Well, my, my only other reign, I only held it for a pay-per-view. Yeah. So, and even that reign, you know, I only, I only held it for a pay-per-view, you know? Yeah, it's just, there's a lot a lot of time between those yeah, two I wanted pay-per-views. The, I wanted at kind of the... like uh, the Fabulous Moolah situation. Where she was a, ch- a women's champion for twenty seven years, but, right? Yeah, <laughs> because no, there's no matches for sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, I um, I won the title at the end of twenty fourteen at Autumn Slam, and then of course we go into hiatus, and then we came back from break. I think I believe I retained it at Wrestle Slam Mania. I mm-hmm. think against, I think against the Cowboy, um, and who's one of my favorite opponents, Eddie Dunn. Um, but uh, I lost. Then the next. The next match was um, uh, uh, against Mars at Revengeance when I lost the title. I think that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, you probably have it there, but uh, but that was yeah, a, for the most part. Yeah, that's, that's pretty accurate. But that was a long time coming because uh, that was always going to be the plan. The plan. So Mars had returned a year prior. I had convinced Mars to return, and he hid in the box office, and no one knew he was there. I can't remember who I told, but I think maybe... I don't think I told Charlie, man. I think maybe I told Charlie, but I didn't tell Sean. Uh, But there were not a lot of people who knew. And Mars returned at the end of Revengeance 2013 and and attacked me because I was like the big-time heel at the time. And I avoided fighting him for a year. I refused to wrestle Mars. And it was a year of avoidance. It was a year of heat, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. And in that time, I became the champion. And it was all part of the grand storyline, right? Yeah. And you want to see Mars finally get his comeuppance on the douche. And in that time, I started using that tiny hammer. And, of course, he's, always, he's taken people out with the tiny hammer. And then, of course, that you know, in the, in the last match, what happens? Mars turns the tables and he grabs the tiny hammer and he made me bleed with the tiny hammer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't think of a better way to go out, man. That was a hell of a match. Thanks, man. <laughs> that was a hell of a, That was one of my first pay-per-views. That was actually my first pay-per-view. And that's, that's when I knew I wanted to be a megastar. So you guys put on a hell of a match uh, at, at Revengeance. Yeah, thanks, man. Um... You know, Mars and I, Mars and I knew we wanted to have an epic match, and I'm gonna crack another beer here. And uh, he, um, we knew we wanted to do an epic thing, and uh, I, I, I did not. I knew I wanted to tap out because as as epic as getting pinned is, I think tapping out oh, for a is, heel. Yeah. is far more impactful. Yeah, and. Um, and I wanted that image. Especially if you're going to retire, that's like you're giving yeah. up. Yeah. And then, of course, I had that last promo where you thought I was going to get real emotional. And I just <laughs> say, you know, I hate each and every one of you. Um, yeah. So, right. And I'll, I'll never wrestle again. <laughs> so <clears throat> you booked it for so many years. Who would you say was one of your favorite wrestlers to put on the card? Holy, oh my God. Or even, even not even as a wrestler, but just 
someone as a performer that you would see and be like, all right, I want to get this guy <laughs> as much so as now, possible. Now we get into sort of like the, the little nuances of booking UCBW, yes. right? Because do you, are you talking about talent or are you talking about people who are easy to work with? Because those are two very different things. Yeah, um, whatever you feel the answer is, whoever you wanted to put out there and then we can also talk about who you knew had the talent, but... Sometimes. I'm not gonna shit talk anyone on the podcast. That's but, true. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. So whatever. Yeah. Who who did you feel was the best to work with, either talent wise, wrestling wise, or just ease of person? Ease of person. <laughs> well, look, Sean Hart will be the first one to tell you that he is far from an ease of person, right? <laughs> um, but uh, but Sean Hart is the most purely funny guy I know. And, um, you know, he, he, that guy's got more talent in his thumbnail than, than anybody I've ever met at UCB has. Um, he's unbelievably hilarious and has a way of, of just saying things. Yeah, not that just in uh, UCBW, he's on a mod team. He, he, uh, he writes next for a mod team, so he's definitely, he's definitely doing his thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sean Hart is so hilarious. Um, I pulled up the old roster here, I'm looking through, you know, Eddie Dunn is just a fucking star. Eddie, Eddie Dunn, when, when he's on, when he's on stage, I remember when he pitched the cowboy, we were like, a cowboy, really? And then when, it, when Eddie Dunn plays a cowboy, it is just phenomenal. Um, I gotta say, Cakeface is pretty cool, because he's, like, I've always been a big Undertaker fan, and he's kind of like... He's the Undertaker he's of the kinda, UCBW. He's kind of no, like no the UCBW Undertaker. Yeah. But nothing beats Fruit Boots. Any chance... Fruit Boots is great, man. Any chance you get to see Fruit Boots come out, and any promos, or... Look, as far as I'm challenge. concerned, Eddie Dunn is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Like, he's a Hall of Fame guy, just... Uh, yeah, he could pitch any character. If he were to go it. in uh, into the Hall of Fame, you know what ne- what, what cap is he going to wear on his plaque? You know, probably Cakeface, because um, he because Cakeface is a former champion. Yeah, that probably gave him the most. Yeah. But you know, as you know, if we're really looking at Eddie Dunn as a whole, you know, Eddie Dunn is a tremendous performer. Uh, Matt Little is a fucking champ. Yeah. Um, Matt Little just is really phenomenal. What's what's uh between Main Street and Wall Street? Who do you take? In, in what respect? What do you as mean? Far, who do I take? As, well, as far as Matt Little performing, who do you think he he can pull off better? Like, oh, obviously, the, the Main Street character did not work. Okay. okay. <laughs> it did not work. He played it for about six months, man. Yeah. Um, Wall Street was, you know, he is. Wall Street will be a Hall of Famer one yeah. day. Um, but uh, th- I mean, those guys, as far as full timers, when I was booking, those guys were phenomenal. Um, and of course Mars. Mars is just great. Um, uh, Justin Lang is great. You know, whether he was I Am Slam or The Bed Bug or Sex Offender Gary, you know, or even when he was uh, Jerry Garcia in Hana Chaos one year. <laughs> Justin Lang is awesome. Yeah, um, the, the, uh, Bed Bug character is such a huge hit. I've never seen any of his other characters, but I'm sure if I find something on The Bed Bug is great, you know. Um, you know, he was never really a full-time character when I was booking uh, because he became so busy. But Eugene Cordero as Pukang Kang, he's an all-timer, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of some other guys, man. Um, 
uh, I loved booking uh, Adam Bozarth um, and and uh, and John Robert Wilson for that matter as the as the Mountain Men first, and then Bozarth as uh, the Manly Man Randy Manly um, was always really really fun. He always fucking nailed it. Um, as far as tag teams go, the Brooks Brothers were, were an awesome, awesome tag team. They were hilarious. Just because of... Alex Scordellis and Chris Shell, who played the Brooks Brothers, uh, are so funny together. Uh, but And and Alex is a, is a good pal, but Chris Shell, he's another one of these guys who is just a way of speaking and saying things, mm-hmm. who has this kind of southern drawl of a voice that is just fucking hilarious, man. Um, off the top of my head, those are my guys, but, cool, uh, cool. and for the ladies, of course, Bloody Mary is awesome, um, you know, Morgan as the teeny bopper is awesome, uh, I don't even remember who else we had around, uh, uh Steph Streisand as the Jewish American princess was always great, um, uh, Bridget Fitzgerald as the lunch lady was fantastic. <laughs> uh, there's um, also Lady Lady uh, Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty, Emily Hoffman, sure. Yeah, I mean, that's some. I just sometimes I just find random clips and you're just like, who is this wrestler? Oh, you. Uh, I asked you to remind me before the upside yes. down. Pitch. Oh yes, yes. So upside this is a good pitch. segue for that. Yes. So we used to do this Hot of Chaos show every year that was a non-canon show, okay. right? So one year, uh, a couple years in a row, I believe, we did, uh, we had appearances by Adolf Hitler. <laughs> yes, for former UCBW megastar and, uh, and orchestrator of genocide, Adolf Hitler, um, uh, played by uh, Bill... This year's only at the uh, non-canon shows. <laughs> yeah. So we had, so uh, Billy Hot Chocolate played Adolf Hitler, who okay. also was... Uh, Constantine as okay. a part of Con Edison with Uncle Eddie, uh, but uh, you know Billy's a you know his real name is Billy Parker, but um, you know for a long time people only knew him as Billy Hot Chocolate for Christ's sakes. <laughs> um, he uh, awesome awesome performer and a great guy and a smart guy and just a lot of fun to be around. Billy's fantastic. No longer lives in New York, but a New York native and uh, just an all around great dude. And I miss him. Uh, but uh, he played Adolf Hitler uh, kind of frighteningly competently. And uh, he, he did two matches. One year he wrestled the Bar Mitzvah Boy, um, and one year he wrestled uh, Anne Frank, who spent most of the match hiding. Um, and I pitched, which, and we never did this, but we pitched Adolf Hitler versus the Jewish-American princess, who was the Stephanie Streisand character. Okay. Now, my pitch was, in this upside-down world of UCBW, the Jewish-American princess, which was such an evil, hated character, Adolf Hitler would be the baby face in this circumstance, and you'd be rooting for Adolf Hitler to defeat the Jewish-American princess. And in the wacky world of UCBW, this somehow made sense... Uh, but we never did the mash. Oh my god! <laughs> I I I don't even want to go anywhere near that. Oh my god! There's nothing else to add. Yeah, that's um, what it was. Yeah. So, 
Were you ever a big props person, or did you ever no, have man. any matches where like you wanted to build? I some spent crazy enough stuff? money on UCBW <laughs> without having to build props, dude. <laughs> I uh, I bought stuff for sure. I mean, I uh, I I bought the uh, you know the uh, the breakaway bottles and uh, different props for like my costume and mm-hmm. stuff. But I I never like built like the lighthouses that like Alex Spaderian built, you know, yeah. stuff like that. I would print out, you know, all of our banners for every pay-per-view, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I didn't have a printer at the time, and, you know, sometimes I was working at a day job where I didn't have easy access to a printer, so I'd have to go to Kinko's and spend a hundred bucks at Kinko's printing out all the color banners to put up above, you know, the back wall there. Um, so I spent enough money on UCBW without having to build those props. Yeah, nice. Whatever, whatever you gotta do, you gotta do. You know, sometimes I spent my time. I spent <laughs> no, trust me. Yeah. Hours of my of my uh, my day job. There's you know, plenty that in goes my work into day. It. There's plenty of that that goes into UCBW if you allow it to take over your life. Trust me, I know. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so let's let's turn the table a little bit. We were, we were talking about um, some comedy wrestling. Now, at the time, were you doing any improv, sketch, stuff like that, or were you just focused on UCBW? No, man. What happened was uh, I, I did the whole UCB system, um, and I finished in uh, late 2007, mid-2007. I started three years prior, but um, as I mentioned, I would do it on uh, while, while I was at home. I'm from New York. Yeah. So I would do it when I would be home uh, in New York on breaks from college. Mm-hmm. So I finished the program in 2007, and I took a couple of the like performance-level classes, uh, one of which was with Charlie, one of which was with Betsy Stover. The one with Betsy Stover was called Hump the Shark, and it was an improvised sitcom class. And uh, that was in the summer of 2007, I believe, or late 2007. And uh, that was a fun class, and we, and we actually performed uh, that show... Uh, after the class ended, and then early 2008, um, I did uh, a, a three-man mono scene class with Charlie Todd. He taught the class, and um, uh, that was the last time I did improv consistently. Um, I never auditioned for a Harold team. Um, I was never really interested in being on a Harold team. Um, so I, I never auditioned. I never... Audition. I never submitted or auditioned for a mod team. I never took sketch classes. I did the full improv curriculum and then those two performance classes, and then that was it. I did have an indie team for a very short while. Um, we only had a couple of shows, um, and then that ended. Um, and I sort of fell out of love with improv, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I became one of those people that uh, I, I kind of, you know, you, you know all the tricks of the trade, and it becomes hard to watch. Because you start second guessing the improvisers, or you know, thinking about oh, what what you would do if mm-hmm. you were up there. And at that time, by the time I finished the uh, the three man mono scene class with Charlie, and I had my my indie team ended, I was already producing Cage Match every week. Um, and I I had that creative outlet. I also had a very busy full time job um, in those days. Still do, and. Um, I, I did not need improv as a creative outlet. You see, running UCBW was taking up enough time as it was, and it was a thankless job. Um, so, uh, 
Yeah, no, I no. <laughs> That's the long answer to no, I was not performing outside of UCBW. So um, we we can get into this if you want. Um, what were you doing outside of UCB itself? Uh, we did talk earlier. We mentioned some you 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 mentioned some USA stuff. Uh, yeah, so when I started running UCBW, I was working in ad sales at the ads in the ad sales department of in those and then in those days, uh, USA and Sci-Fi were run together. Okay, and uh, and then those teams split, and I ended up doing exclusively Sci-Fi ad sales. Okay, so I was working on their ad sales and marketing team, and. Um, I worked there for three years, and then uh, I, I wanted to work in digital, um, so I quit, and I went to a digital agency in Dumbo, Okay. Um, and I worked there for a year, and uh, right around this time is when we started doing the stuff with Mick Foley. Okay. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, because uh, Mick came in as a huge, huge guest. Yeah. Um, we, we recently had Dolph Ziggler, so... It's a, I, mean, I can, I can guys, talk about how we got Dolph yeah, Ziggler there too. Yeah. But. So um, yeah. So let's get let this this um the show all did start as a you know as a love for wrestling, and uh, as you are a big uh, wrestling fan, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Uh, how yeah? How did uh, Mick Foley and uh, Ziggler come about? Obviously, many years apart. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about Foley first. Yeah. So what happened with Foley was, I had heard that that. Look, Mick, Mick was my legit my hero growing up. I was, you know, 14 or something when he As anybody won the WWE title. Wrestling. <laughs> I was never a big hardcore wrestling guy. You know, I, I find it difficult watching those, you know, Japanese death matches. Those are, those are tough to watch. I love exploding cage uh, matches. They're intense, great. man. But, uh, but Mick was my hero. I mean, um, Billy Hot Chocolate also, he tells this story about how he cried the night Mick Foley won the title on, on Monday Night Raw. And uh, and look, so did I, dude. And we got to was... thank Eric Bischoff for that, by the way. I mean, not 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 to thank, but just the fact that I would have missed it watching Nitro for sure. Talking about the famous uh, Tony Schiavone remark, right? Of course. <laughs> we'll skip over that for now. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, Mick was my child, legit my childhood hero, and uh, I went to go see him wrestle Triple H at Madison Square Garden at the Royal Rumble in two thousand, and I was a massive Mick Foley fan. Right, and I heard this is many years later. I'm running this show at the UCB. That I hear he's trying to get into stand up comedy. He's doing some stand up comedy shows and blah blah blah. So what do I do? I start badgering him on Twitter, and <laughs> I start tweeting him. Hey, I heard you're trying to get into comedy. I run a comedy wrestling show. It's at the Upright Citizens Brigade. You should come do it. Blah blah blah. And uh, I wasn't getting a response. And uh, I just, I continued to bother him. And, and I think Billy Byer, who played the whole out of denim character, he also started to bother Mick. And eventually he responded to one of us. I can't remember who he responded to. I can, I can look it up. Um, but he responded to one of us and he admitted that he thought that we were just some indie promoter trying to get him to come do an indie show and he was ignoring us. Oh, wow. And when he found out that, that we were from comedy. the Upright Citizens Brigade, he knew what the Upright Citizens Brigade was. Yeah, that's oh a huge name. Oh my God, that's a name, the yeah. Upright Citizens Brigade. You're, you want me to come do Yeah, I would love to do a show. So he asks us to come meet him. He was doing a, a small indie show 
uh, at the Old Elks Lodge in Queens. Mm -hmm. And he was doing a, a signing before the show, and he brought us into like this VIP room, and then all of a sudden it's me and Billy Byer chatting about comedy and wrestling with Mick Foley. And, we're, and I'm losing my fucking mind, man. And this was 2010 or 2011. I can't remember. And uh, this was like the summertime or something. And uh, we asked him if he would want to do the show. And uh, he says, oh, I would love to do the show. And um, uh, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll keep in touch or blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, it's, it's, it's part of that thing about where you're like kind of friendly with a celebrity, but not really. And you're like, I don't know how pushy to be with him and so on and so forth. I think eventually what just ended up happening is I, I had his email address. So he gave, he gave me his email address. And I think I just emailed him and I was like, so do you want to do this or what? Yeah. And, you know, months had gone by and he ends up doing the show in October of that year. I think this was, yeah, this had to have been October of 2011. And he came and he did the show and we had sort of teased it out on Twitter, but not really. And it was kind of vague whether he would be there. Mm -hmm. And he came and he did the show and um, it was it was incredible. It was a mind-blowing experience. And um, uh, I remember when his music hit and he came out, I have legit... What did he come out to, by the way, if, if, you, if you remember? Oh, his, uh, his Mick Foley music, okay, his perfect. Mankind music. Okay, yeah, okay, okay. music he's known for, right? Oh, I'm saying I, don't, I, I love his Cactus Jack music, <laughs> personally. Yeah, but people don't know yeah, that, yeah, yeah, you know? That's, that's people true. barely know the Mankind music. Yeah. But, you know, if, if he's going to come out to anything, it's going to be that. And, okay. And he comes out... I have legit... I have never heard UCB louder. It was the... I, people went insane. Uh, when he walked out. I mean, he is, he's an enormous guy. Yeah. And, and Mick Foley also has a little bit of pop culture crossover credibility to him. Okay, right? yeah, definitely, you know, he, especially after that, that. He was on 30 on Rock and, and he's done, you know, he's done things that are outside of the wrestling world, yeah. right? And he, he's, he's a, he's a best-selling author, for Christ's sakes. I have his book, Have a Nice Day. Yeah. Sure. Um, so uh, he... Came out, so he did the show, and I remember we're rehearsing the match backstage, and um, uh, you know Wall Street's in the match, and he's got the cocaine, and he's like, "What? I'll just I'll put your I'll put your you know your you know, the bag of cocaine up to your face, and you can pass out, Mick." And 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 Mick is now offering us suggestions. He's like, "No, what if you uh, <laughs> what if you blew the powder into my face?" And we were like, yeah, absolutely, yes, of course, McFoley, what, whatever you say, <laughs> you know? And uh, it, it was just awesome working with him, and he, it was clear that he was having an awesome time, and he was the special enforcer in the match that night, and he got involved, and he, he did the... Uh, um, the sock up. He did the, the, he put on the sock, and he would, and, and he grabbed, uh, he did the testicular, I think this was to Wall Street, I think he did testicular it too. Testicular fortitude. And he would grab his balls and put it in his mouth, and grab his balls and put it in his mouth. And the, the audience would chant, cock, sock, cock, sock. And he would do this thing where he would like, he would whirl his fists around. You can't really see what I'm kind, doing. Yeah, kind of like the, the dude love uh, punches. Right, exactly. But he would he would kind of wind up and then bring the arm around, and like it was just so clear that like this guy is a pro. He like he knows how to perform to the last row. You know, he's used to playing in twenty thousand seat arenas. Here he is in a three hundred seat comedy theater. Yeah. Right, and it was awesome, and he had a great time. And then he asks me, "Can I come back?" <laughs> oh my god! Sweet. I'm gonna email him tomorrow. I'll be like, "Hey, if you want to come back again." 
<laughs> no, but come on. I'm sorry. So, um, so at this one, I have his phone number, and we're texting every now and then, and um, and what he pitches is so the following month in November. Uh, at this time, the UCBW season, I think, was over, mm-hmm. you know, because it ends at the end of October. Yeah, for the playoffs. For and Kate, uh, improv. Right. The, playoffs. It used to be the three-on-three tournament and then the, and then the improv tournament. But um, uh, what he pitches is, hey, can, so Survivor Series is at the Garden. UCB is, you know, five blocks from the Garden. Yeah. Can we do a post show at UCB? And I was like, well, I don't know, Mick. You know, Sundays we do this show called Ass Cat, and that's usually the only show we do. And so I think what happened, so I forget who was the uh, the AD, at the, the artistic director of the theater at the time. It was either Anthony King or Nate Dern. And uh, Charlie or I emailed one of them and asked, like, hey, can we do an 11 o'clock show or no it was a midnight show because the pay-per-view would end at 11 mm-hmm. and then people would walk down to UCB we did a midnight show and that's exactly what we did and I, I don't know any other instance of there being a show after ASCAT on a Sunday night but that's what we did it was just when called Mick Foley calls you answer yeah and the show was just called Mick Foley live at UCB and uh, it was a hybrid of his storytelling stand-up show with some UCBW bits thrown in and uh, it, it was an awesome time, and we and we did a match in the middle of the show, and uh, and we had the announcers out there, and uh, Mick loved Uncle Eddie. He loves Sean Hart. <laughs> and just to backtrack for a second, I remember uh, that night of the show, I was getting ready for the show. I think I was like running around picking up props, and then me and a bunch of other UCBW guys. We're gonna watch Survivor Series at Birch Harm's apartment, right? So I'm walking to Birch's apartment in the Union Square area. Okay. And I get a call on my cell, and it's Mick, and Mick is asking me some last-minute logistical details. And then I said, uh, I think I said, Mick, I gotta go. I'm walking into this building. You know, I'm 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 going to watch Survivor Series with a bunch of guys. And Mick says, excuse me, Mick says. Uh, Wow, uh, uh, where are you watching it? I said, oh, we're, we, you know, we're watching it, you know, one of the UCB guys at his apartment. And Mick says, uh, can I come? Wasn't he in Survivor Series? He was not. Oh, okay. okay. He was not. And we said, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and Mick came and, and he sat on Birch's living room couch and there is a famous picture of all, not as famous as the one that, that was taken on stage at UCB, mm. but it was taken in Birch's apartment, and Mick is there on the couch, and I'm next to Mick, and we're surrounded by, I don't know, 10 or so other UCB guys who are sitting there watching the pay-per-view, mm-hmm. and we all watched Survivor Series together. And I remember that at one point, Sean was going out to get coffee or something and Mick asks him to get coffee and Mick is like you know notoriously frugal and like has like two bucks in his wallet and like Sean is not you know not exactly you know Scrooge McDuck and uh you know he doesn't have you know so and and you know Mick is trying to pass some money and he's got a crumbled up dollar bill and you know Sean is like you know what Mick forget about it I'll buy you I'll buy you a cup of coffee and Mick asks for like hey can I have you know like one of those 
pumpkin vanilla, you know. I don't know. He asked for something like like really, really dumb, you know. And uh, so we, we get Mick his, you know, stupid latte, and we're, we, we're watching the show with him. I remember at one point The Rock is cutting a promo, and I turn to Rock, and I go, I, uh, you know this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and he and I made and I popped him with that and uh, and we're, and at one point we have to go and, and it's the because it's the main event of Survivor Series starting so and we got to get to UCB yeah because we're doing the show at midnight yeah and the main event is starting and Mick just says uh, do we have to go now and I was like uh, yeah we got to go he wants to watch and, the, the main so Mick Mick just says can we just watch the entrances. <laughs> And I was like, of course, yes, of course, Mick. So Mick is, he's just like, he's a wrestling fan. He just yeah. he wants to sit and watch the entrances, you know? And I just thought it was awesome. And then he came and he did that show. And uh, uh, two weeks after that show, I think a week after that show, I was offered a job at the WWE. Oh, my God. And when I told, and when I told Mick, and, and due in no small part to my involvement in the UCBW. Mm-hmm. Because at that time, with Mick's involvement, UCBW had gained quite a bit of buzz um, online among you know uh, you know the internet wrestling community and things of that nature mm-hmm. and wrestling websites and uh, WWE.com wrote a story about that night which is, it's still online oh my god um, and uh, talks about the Upright Citizens Brigade it's on WWE.com wrote a story about UCBW and um, uh, yeah so very soon after that I went to go work for uh, the WWE for the company Wow. What was that like? Um, any, obviously there's a lot of wrestling fans that probably listen to this podcast. Yeah. Any advice for anyone pursuing uh, work with the W? Like, how did that all come about? Like you said, honestly, I had the right experience. You know, I was, um, I had worked at USA and sci-fi, so I had a handle on those brands. They liked that. Mm -hmm. I had worked at this digital agency in Dumbo, this very, you know, hipster digital agency Mm -hmm. for a year. So I had experience in digital and I had experience, you know, doing the online marketing for this fake parody wrestling league that had gained some notoriety. Um, So uh, I just had the right combination of experience. You know, if you want to work in digital at www.com, get experience in digital, you know. If you're if you're just purely a wrestling fan, you're never going to get hired. Yeah. Um, you have to have actual work experience. Yeah, they um, they pack the house with thirty thousand wrestling fans every night. Obviously, they could find one if they if they needed one. Right. But yeah. So yeah, you definitely have to have the uh, work experience. What 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 was it like being behind the scenes of of such a program? Uh, such a program, uh, such a company. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm saying like raw and uh, everything digital. Yeah, you know, I, I worked. I worked it. I, I left six months ago. Okay. Um, and uh, I worked there for you know three and a half, nearly three and a half years, which is a long time. And uh, you know, it, it was it was great, man. I I, I, I got, it was basically the dream job. I, I wrote I wrote about wrestling for three and a half years. I got to travel the country. Go backstage at pay per views and Raws, and um, you know I, I interviewed you know forget Mick. I mean I interviewed some really I I interviewed Hulk Hogan for Christ's sakes. I interviewed The Rock. I, this is true. I interviewed Donald Trump when he was <laughs> when going the into match, the Hall of Fame. Uh, Umaga versus uh, Bobby Lashley. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, after we go off, I still after, think Umaga should have won that match. After we stop recording here, I will. Uh, yeah. I'll, I will give you the audio of my Donald Trump interview, and you can include this on here if you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
presidential candidate presidential Donald candidate. Trump. I, I interviewed the uh, the presidential candidate frontrunner. Absolutely, For the um, Republican that party. Was, that was at the uh, at the Hall of Fame ceremony at Madison okay. Square Garden. Um, I interviewed him. Yeah, and we'll definitely add that in. <laughs> what's really funny is I, on that night, I watched Donald Trump introduce himself to Arnold Schwarzenegger and vice versa. And as we're recording this, yesterday it was announced that Schwarzenegger is taking over okay. for Trump on The Apprentice. Yeah. So there's a famous photo Hot that leads went... on Crafty Comedy Wrestling, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, it's not it's all over the internet at this point. But, Hot leads. Uh, um, but uh, yeah, man, it was uh, it was, that was that was it was a crazy three and a half years. I have tons of stories. I don't think this podcast is is the time for those stories, but. You know, Kevin Nash tried to get me fired. Buff Bagwell called me an asshole. Um, <laughs> and other guys were very nice to me. Did you, you know? take the douche character with you? No, I did not. <laughs> but no, there's a, there's a famous story that I've told before about uh, Kevin Nash trying to get me fired. Um, about a story I wrote that involved Mick, for, for, uh, for mm-hmm. that matter. Um, and uh, Buff Bagwell declining to be interviewed. Those are just two uh, very specific jerks. But nearly everyone else I met there was, you know, salt of the earth. And um, as far as talent goes, um, the only other guys that were like kind of mean to me were Randy Orton and uh, Big Show. They were kind of they were kind of nasty. Mm-hmm. But Big Show is also very hot or cold. You could get you know mean angry giant Big Show, or you could get pussycat Big Show. Uh, and I got both during my time there. Okay. Wow. Um... Wow, this you've done it all with with comedy wrestling. I've done it all. Done it all with comedy wrestling. Uh, no, Broken yeah, I, um, I don't know about that, man. But um, uh, I will say this: I I'm I'm never gonna come back to the CBW. That's for sure. Uh, well, there's always a Hall of Fame ceremony. I well, they offered it to me this year, and I turned it down. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, any particular reason that you want to get into, or we don't have to? Um, no particular reason. I, um, you know, I, uh, I know that a lot of people kind of have murmured about sort of the, the controversy that sort of surrounded me leaving UCBW. I'm not sure if you know about that. I don't, actually. Um, but, uh, a lot of people sort of thought that, uh, that I was asked to leave UCBW. Uh, I can tell everyone right now that that was not the case. Um, and it's fine if you don't believe me. I don't care. Um, but uh, I left on my own accord. I sent an email to Charlie and Pat and said I was done. Um, look, you know... Yeah, you're doing it for so long. There's eventually a time you have to hang it up. Yeah, and I felt that with everything that had gone on, I mean... Uh, but I was, go- I was always going to leave. That was always going to be my last match. And I was always going to stop producing the show. But it was going to be a longer process of me kind of passing the reins along. Yes. But when that all shook down, um, it, it was expedited. My, my departure, mm-hmm. I, I expedited my own departure. Of course. And, um, you know, I had met with, you know, Fesh a year before that to start talking about handing over the reins to him. Um, so the, the, you know, there were always kind of plans in motion. Um, but, uh, when I retired, um, and I said I would never come back to UCBW, uh, I really meant it. And I don't want to be one of these guys that retires and comes back a thousand times. Mm-hmm. Um, pitch the UCBW network to us, right? What's that? I said, you're going to pitch the UCBW network to us, right? That's right. Only a uh, hundred dollars a month. Um, <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, you know, Sean, uh, Sean Hart really tried to get me to come to be a part of it, and uh, I was not interested. Well, I honestly hope that eventually things will settle down and the douche... Look, things are, se- the things douche are settled can, down. I'm just saying, I, I just hope the douche one day will accept his uh, Hall of Fame ballot. Well, it's very nice of you, but... This has been a really enlightening episode of the Craft of Comedy Wrestling. I want to thank Zach Linder for all his time and all your time as fans of the show. Uh, we're going to take a quick break in the action and end the show with Zach Linder interviewing Donald Trump as well as a quick promo from the douche. So those are going to be some great listens. Thank you once again for listening to the show. Have a great night. Take care, Cage Maniacs. So when you hosted WrestleManias 4 and 5 in Atlantic City, could you ever have imagined WWE could become this global powerhouse that it is today? It's been amazing, absolutely amazing, and it's a great honor for me to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, just an amazing experience. When you had the Battle of the Billionaires match, what would have happened? How devastated would you have been if you had lost, if Bobby Lashley had lost that night, and we would have seen those famous locks disappear? I would not have been a happy camper. So fortunately, Bobby came through, but I would not have been too happy. And for all your accomplishments, where does this Hall of Fame induction tonight? Well, this is one of the great things for me. I really enjoy it, and it's really a great honor. And we're going to hear from the douche shortly.
No!